welcome back to the I'm Moving to Italy podcast. This is Nathan Heinrich, and I would like to welcome you back to Season 2, Episode 9. I am so happy to say that I am recording this episode live from Italy. I just returned yesterday from my trip to California. I was gone for three weeks, and I have to say, as wonderful as that trip was, and as fantastic as the experiences were, and I'm going to be sharing some of them with you. I am so, so grateful to be able to be back here in Italy. And every time I leave and then return, I am even more eager to get back home here to Italy because this is beginning to... You know, there hasn't been even the slightest sound outside of this house all day. And... The second that I sit down to start recording, someone starts hammering something or banging on something directly across the street. (sighs) What are the chances? Maybe that's just going to have to become one of today's surrounding sounds. I've decided that... I've decided that I'm not going to continue stopping and starting. If you guys hear some strange noise in the background, someone has decided to take out a sledgehammer and just start hammering down a wall or something, chopping wood. I don't know. I have to go out and see what's happening. But literally, somebody is mutilating something across the street. (laughs) One day, I'm going to have a soundproof room so I'll be able to record in perfect silence. But that day is not today. So today, you are going to hear my voice combined with whatever is happening across the street, just the sound of regular everyday life here in Italy. I'm recording this episode at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon here. Normally I record in the evening, but anyway. And there's the doorbell. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, that was a delivery for Alessandro, a package that he was waiting for, so... Anyway, let's continue on with this very noisy day here. in Italy. (laughs) Oh, it's hilarious. Well, I want to share with you uh, several things in today's episode. One of the things I'd like to share are some of the travel experiences that I had and a couple travel stories. Seems like I can never travel anywhere without some sort of a kind of crazy travel experience. And my mom always says, whenever she sees me after I've been traveling or she talks on the phone with me after I've gone somewhere, she's like, all right, what happened this time? Because there's always something that happens. And it does seem like that's the case. I would actually prefer to have a really boring travel experience for a change, but it seems like I'm not sure if it's brought on by me or if it's just uh, the way things normally go. I definitely had some interesting travel experiences on this trip I'll share with you. And I will share a bit about California and what what happened there. And then just about my return trip home and 
sort of my first day back here in Italy and then some things that are coming up in our life here in general in Italy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So three weeks ago, as you know, I left Italy for my sister's wedding. Now, on top of helping my sister sort of design and put her wedding on, I was also helping my parents get their yard at their ranch and their home, which is where the wedding was happening, sort of get that finished. Now, we've been working on that project since before my sister was ever even engaged or ever even dating the guy that she is married to now. So that's been a project that has been ongoing for a few years, and it's finally just been completed. And it just happened to sort of correlate with the timing of my sister's wedding. But anytime you have a wedding, those of you who have had weddings in your lives that you've been part of, and and whether or not they are at your home or your family's home, you know that weddings have a way of sort of putting the pressure on because you've got a deadline and it sort of accelerates things and sort of lights a fire under you, so to speak. And things tend to get done a lot faster because you're kind of under pressure. And sometimes that's the way it goes. So I kind of leveraged this pressure that my sister's wedding sort of generated and we were able to get the landscaping all finished. We were able to get the house all finished and almost completely decorated and and just filled with art and furniture and lighting. And we also, of course, were able to have my sister's wedding, which turned out to be very beautiful. And a lot of people said it was one of the most beautiful weddings that they'd ever been to. So anyway, there was a lot accomplished in a fairly short amount of time, considering how many different things that we worked on. I think maybe I had two days out of the 21 days that I was in California. I think maybe I had two days where I wasn't actually working on something. And the rest of the time, I was literally getting up early in the morning and having a cup of coffee with my grandmother if we had time. And I was out the door and on to my parents' ranch or traveling to Sacramento or the Bay Area to get supplies for the house or the yard or the wedding. So that is pretty much what my last three weeks consisted of. Now, California, as many of you know, is experiencing its normal fire season. And it's also in a very typical drought, which is kind of... California just is kind of almost in a constant state of of lack of water. And you combine that with the fact that there's just a lot of fires right now because the forests in California have been not allowed to burn and the natural fires that would take place naturally in California from lightning strikes or just whatever would bring on a a fire naturally that has been very suppressed over the last 120 years approximately. And so what you have had is a real buildup of fuel in the forests in California. And when when you hear that there are fires in California, you can always be guaranteed that those fires are going to be somewhere in the mountains or in the hills. They're not going to be usually right along the coast, and they're not going to be in the agricultural 
valley of California, sort of in the center part of California. They're almost always going to be in the hills and the mountains because that's where there are fewer homes and a lot more fuel for fires to just sort of take off and run wild. So my family happens to be in a place that's very agricultural. It gets irrigated and there's no dry brush just available for fires to start. Everything is really green and irrigated agriculture. And so it's it's virtually impossible for fires to break out. It's I mean, you, you know, there could be a house fire, but there's not going to ever be a wildfire or a forest fire because there just are no forests in that part of California. There, of course, is no rain in California from about April through November every year. There's a very long period of no rain whatsoever. Any rain that California gets is usually between the months of December to March. And anything that comes, you know, any any rain that's that you, you know, or snowpack that builds up in the Sierra Nevada mountains, any of that precious water comes during that like 4 to 5 month period. It's a very short window and you can usually tell by about the end of February or first part of March whether or not you're going to have a dry year or whether you got enough snow pack up in the mountains that then melts and goes into the rivers and into the reservoirs and the lakes. You can pretty much tell what kind of a year you're going to have based on what amount of water you've received through rain or through snow by about March. And of course, this year, there was just not enough you know, for as long as I can remember my entire childhood, California was measured, their water was measured of like, you know, are we above, at, or below normal rainfall? And it's, it's almost always the case that California is under what they really need water-wise. And yet the population of California uses lots and lots of water. And there's a lot of agriculture in California, which requires a lot of water. So anyway, the majority of California's water ends up going down to Southern California, which is where the greatest population is located, or to the Bay Area or the coastal areas. That's where most of the population is in California. Uh, and then, of course, there's a lot of agriculture, as I mentioned, that needs water. So it's just always a problem. And so... This year is no exception, and while I was there, there was a really, really bad couple of fires that were going. Some were up in the northern part of the state, and then a while I was there, a new fire broke out and started up at Lake Tahoe in the Sierra Mountains, and it burned over 700 residences and burned all the way down on the south shore of Lake Tahoe, it was just really, really smoky and kind of depressing. The sky was just this constant sort of taupey gray color. You know, I left Italy, which was, you know, rain every week with really clear blue skies and puffy white clouds, the green foliage and trees, the clear, clean air here, and left this wonderful oasis and went to dry, hot, and smoky California. And it made me miss Italy 
And it made me kind of sad because this new normal for California of just constant smoky, hazy days where you don't see blue skies for weeks or months on end. It was never like that for me growing up in California. And it's really been within the last about five years that it's just started becoming more and more like that every summer. The last 10 years, but especially the last five years, have just gotten so much worse. And it's interesting. I haven't lived in California for about seven years now. And it's really interesting to hear people talk about it. And how they talk about California summers now, they're just like, yeah, this is just the way it is now. This is, and, and, and there's kind of a, there's kind of a sense of being depressed uh, during the summer months. It's always hot and dry, but hot, dry, and smoky is just kind of a really challenging situation. And the air quality is not great. So being outside and breathing that air just was kind of, it was just kind of a weird thing. Um, that was probably about the only real downside to the trip was was that. And it was certainly a downside. During that fire of, of Lake Tahoe, when that started about a week and a half ago, I think, and we would look and see this sort of bank of smoke drifting across my parents' ranch. And we were literally watching... Lake Tahoe homes and trees and vegetation literally drift over the top of us. You know, that's what the, all that ash up in, in the sky that, that had burned up and gone up into the atmosphere. That was, you know, that was what was left of those areas that burned in Lake Tahoe. It just kind of turned into all this ash and smoke. So anyway, I don't want to talk too much about how miserable California's fire season is, but I did want to share that that is definitely something that has made me so grateful to come back here to the clean, crisp air of Italy. So anyway, but my days were spent, as I, as I mentioned, my days were spent really focusing on this wedding and focusing on my parents' home and their landscaping. And in the process of that, I got to spend a lot of time with my mom because my mom and I were kind of masterminding a lot of the things to do with the house and and the yard. And my mom was with me. My sister, of course, was working. You know, we kind of had her wedding all designed and laid out, but that there's still lots of loose ends to tie up and there's product to pick up and flowers to get and rental items to check out. So I was able to spend a lot of time with my mom doing that and kind of finalizing the house. And so we really enjoyed our time together. And I really enjoy spending time with my mom. Of course, I missed having Alessandro with me because normally he's with me everywhere I go. and, And I really love that. But as I may have mentioned in one of the previous episodes, he had to deal with some family medical issues here. His mother had to have surgery and his favorite aunt has been diagnosed with breast cancer. And because Alessandro is very, very close to her and she has been going to the oncologist and uh, multiple different doctors for tests and figuring out exactly what her treatment's going to be. And Alessandro went to medical school. So 
she really, really kind of needed him to be here. And so he, he ended up being exactly where he needed to be, where his family needed him. My family needed me in a different way. And so we were both kind of spending time with our families and it was good. I, I actually think that it's kind of healthy to spend time apart uh, for couples. I think that that's kind of a healthy thing to do. Uh, not This is not the way I would have liked that to have gone, but you know, this, this, this would have been a much better if I could have been here for him and he could have been there with me, but it's just the way it worked out. And, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. So anyway, being able to FaceTime and being able to text and have phone calls made it feel like we weren't too far apart. So that was, that was great. But anyway, so I spent a lot of great quality time with my mom I was, of course, staying at my grandmother's house because that's where I normally stay because she lives alone. And so when I come into town, my grandmother lives just on the other side of town from my parents' ranch. And so uh, I usually stay with her and to, this was no exception this, this time. And so I got to start every morning having coffee with her at her house. And every evening, basically, I got to come home and have dinner with her or at least play a game of cards or have a conversation with her when I got home. So it was so nice to be able to see her at the beginning and the end of every day. I have to say that by the time the wedding was over, my parents' home, their landscaping and their yard and the wedding had all come together even more beautifully than I could have anticipated. I was very, very pleased with the results. I was very pleased. My, my family were very pleased. My sister loved her wedding. It was kind of just a all around really good experience. I, I felt really grateful to be able to be there and spend that time, but also to offer some of my gifts and my talents to my family. You know, I have never really been part of the family farming business. I've helped over the years, and certainly when I was younger, I worked a lot in the family farming business with my dad and my brothers and my grandfather. But really, my set of skills and what I have done with my life and my career are very different. And so to be able to have some of my talents and my skills be able to be really useful and sort of help to improve the life of my family and to make things more beautiful and to have it be such a visual thing that my whole family gets to experience and got to experience at the wedding. That's a very fulfilling thing. And so to, to be able to come and offer that to my family was a really special thing for me to be able to give. I, I don't do very well. It probably has something to do with the fact that we have such a large family and I'm one of the older siblings. I, it, I really don't know what to do in a situation where I don't have a role or where I don't have some sort of sense of being useful or helpful. I, I have a hard time just showing up places and just being a guest. I just, I'm just programmed to just do things. And so when I have a real specific role and when I know that what I have to offer is valuable, that gives me a real sense of value and accomplishment and satisfaction. And that's kind of what I 
what I experienced and what I left California with. So that was wonderful. Another thing that was kind of special that I got to experience in California was my grandmother, while I was there, she closed on the purchase and of that new piece of property that she has been kind of in the process of acquiring for the past few months. Well, she closed on that piece of property while I was there. And so I was able to go out with her and look at this 30 acre parcel, which is right on the river. And we were able to walk all over the property and, and I got to kind of see for the first time where this is and the views looking over the river and those California live oaks and sort of the golden hills and that beautiful crystal clear water in the river. It was just really great to be able to experience that with her. I'm going to upload those those scenes and some video from that in the video on Instagram for this episode. So that was very special. I was also able to spend some time with a lot of family members that I don't normally get to see aunts and uncles and cousins, some cousins that were from North Carolina and Oregon and the Bay Area, and just cousins that I just don't get to see very often, and aunts and uncles. So that was really great to be able to experience that at the wedding. And of course, family, friends, and people I just I just don't see very often anymore. It was just really fun to be able to experience that a pleasant surprise that happened at the wedding was for the champagne toast and for the sangria that was used at the wedding, my family got some Prosecco because that's pretty much, I mean, you can, you can get champagne, but it's very, very easy to get Prosecco in California and in the United States in general. And so when I saw the bottle of Prosecco that was at the wedding, it was this beautiful black bottle. And on the front, it said Coniano, Italy, which of course is where I live here in Italy. That's the town where I am recording this right now. So it was kind of amazing. My mom was like, yeah, I specifically picked out this bottle of Prosecco for your sister's wedding because I realized that this Prosecco was from your hometown in Italy. So that was kind of a lovely surprise and it was delicious. And I showed a picture of it to Alessandro and he said, yes, I know that brand very well. And he's like, that's a a very good, that's a very good winemaker here in Conigliano. That was really lovely. And you can actually buy that wine, that Prosecco at Trader Joe's and other places in California. I had no idea. So that was kind of special. Another thing that was really, really special on this trip was I was able to collect seeds from so many different places. I came back to Italy with so many seeds, tomato seeds, watermelon seeds, onion seeds, fig seeds, flower seeds, artichoke seeds. I mean, so many different seeds. I got seeds from my grandmother. I even got some California poppy seeds from some flowers I saw growing at her new property along the river. I got some fruit tree seeds. I got some grapes from my parents' ranch, some grapes that were planted by my 
my great-grandfather, Walter Heinrich, and some that were planted by my parents and some that are that have been at the house that my where my parents live their ranch some red conquered grapes that have been at their house for over 120 years and some very old vines on their grape arbor and so it was just really amazing to be able to come back to Italy with all these seeds from either people that I love or trees and plants or vines from my childhood. Every September in California, growing up, the grapes on my parents' grape arbor, sort of at the back on the south side of their house, all of these conquered grapes and cardinal grapes and red flames and Thompson seedless grapes, all these different grapes would always be ripe right about this time of year, sort of sort of the end of August and, and first part of September. And the smell of specifically of the conquered grapes when they're ripe. My mom used to take the conquered grapes and make juice out of them. And so that smell of those ripe conquered grapes ready to be picked, it is an overwhelming fragrance and it is so, so ingrained into my memory bank. You know, they say that smells are associated with memories in in one of the most powerful and and, and memorable ways. They're very they evoke memories in a way that's almost more powerful than any other sense or sensory experience that we have. So the fact that I was able to be there at a time when I usually kind of try to avoid being in California in August. That's a very hot month to be in California. But to be able to be there this particular August and to be able to collect some seeds, you know, right when the almonds are ripe and right when the walnuts are ripe and right when the grapes are are ready to be picked. And it was just very, very special to be able to be there and to collect some of these seeds. I was also able to go up to my dear friends in Winters, California, that own a beautiful event venue and farm called Park Winters in the lovely town of Winters, which is just right over the hill from Napa and Sonoma, right next to the little city of Davis. In Northern California, not too far, about an hour or so from San Francisco, there's this little farming community called Winters. And in that community of Winters, my friends John and Raphael have this fantastic wedding venue and event venue that they have transformed And it started with just 10 acres and it's just grown and grown. And every time I'm there, I'm just more and more blown away by what they've created. And Raphael is the curator of this gorgeous farm. And so on this farm, I was able to get seeds from so many different plants and It was just fantastic to be able to get sunflower seeds and artichoke seeds and all these fantastic seeds and to be able to spend some time with them. There's some dear friends of mine that I haven't been able to spend time with over the last several years. Of course, the pandemic, I haven't seen them since before the pandemic. So to be able to go up there and spend a night at their beautiful place 
and spend the next day collecting seeds was so special to me. And so that was wonderful. I was also able to see my wonderful friend, Emily, who actually made the wedding cake for my sister's wedding. She's a fantastic baker. She does cakes and cupcakes and she's phenomenal. And so she made this wonderful decadent dark chocolate cake that was a design of a cake that that was kind of very abstract and almost kind of looked like a painting rather than a cake. And so I sent her this photo of this cake I wanted to create that was kind of this dark blue color, sort of decorated with all these, sort of these like impressionist style flowers all over the cake. And then I added some live real flowers to the cake as well. And so anyway, my friend Emily just nailed it. She actually lives in that same town of Winters and is also friends with my friends there, Jana Raphael. And so I got to see her and my mom had an extra orange kitten at her house. And so I had learned that Emily was looking for an orange kitten. So when I went back to Winters, after we had picked up the cake, I went back a few days after the wedding to spend some time with my friends. And I took an orange cat uh, to my friend Emily and her and her daughters have been wanting an orange cat. My mom is obsessed with orange kittens and cats. She always has been. She's always had one at her at her ranch as long as I can remember. So I was able to do that and spend some time with Emily. I was able to see my friends Charmaine and my friends Dave and Gina. And it was just really, really wonderful to be able to spend time with all those people that I just love so much in California. And so it was uh, also special to be able to see my brothers and my dad and, and people on the ranch kind of getting ready for walnut harvest to start. Almond harvest was, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, almond harvest. <laughs> I think I may have shared with you before that, but farmers in California that grow almonds call them almonds. And so if you ever hear me slip and call call almonds almonds, it's because that's what the farmers who grow them call them. They call them almonds. So anyway, it was the almonds were sort of halfway finished with their harvesting. They had almost harvested about half of all the ranches that my dad farms and they were just getting ready to start in on the walnuts before I left. So to sort of see the preparation at the walnut processing facility at my parents' ranch, to see that sort of getting all prepared and serviced and, and up and running was was exciting. And one other thing that I experienced while I was in California that was super, super special and something that I had kind of been wanting to experience for years and years is something that I don't know if if very many of you have, have ever even heard of. It's something called getting your colors done. And I think it's something actually that women probably do more than men. It's definitely not something that most your typical your typical guys probably don't go get their colors done. <laughs> And there's many women who have never had their colors done. And what what getting your colors done really means is there are people who are professionals at figuring out what colors look best with your skin, basically just taking your natural coloring and using a lot of different colors of fabrics. They sort of have these bib shape fabrics that they drape sort of under your neck, over your shoulders, 
against your skin and then you have to wear kind of a white shirt or a white sheet to sort of cover up anything, any color that you're wearing. And then they, they place these sort of pieces of bib-shaped fabric, uh, which right under your neck, and then sort of find out which colors are your colors. And oftentimes people who do your colors professionally, which is kind of a very highly specialized skill set that not a lot of people know how to do, but the people who know how to do it, it's, it's pretty fantastic. And my mom happens to know this really wonderful woman named Catherine, and she does this for sort of a, a business. And I just happened to mention to my mom how amazing it would be to be able to get my colors done because I probably like many of you, I sort of have a rut. I tend to wear, because I have bluish green eyes and sort of fair pink, pinkish skin, <laughs> very light pink skin and sort of blondish hair, I, I sort of have always kind of gravitated towards just wearing a lot of greens and blues because that's just kind of what pulls out my eye color and what I tend to think I look best in. I've avoided so many different colors because I didn't think I looked very good in them. And one thing that when you get your colors done, one thing that they, they kind of terminology that they use is the seasons. Like they'll use seasons like you're either a spring or a summer or a fall or a winter. And, you know, the fall colors would be more like earth tones. Spring colors would be more like really bright neons and really, really, you know, intense, fresh, clear colors. And winter colors are more icy and cool. And summer colors are very bright and and sort of dusty and colorful. And, and so turns out that I am a summer as far as things, how things go, if you're going to group, you know, group you into a season or a type of color family, then I would be a, a summer. And I found a whole bunch of colors, especially in the warmer, rosy tones and the pinks and the reds that I never wear. I found a whole bunch of them and certain shades of yellow even that I can wear that I never thought I could wear. And I'm also going to include, so I, I was, Catherine gave me, uh, after she did my colors, the next day she gave me a sort of a, um, a little cheat sheet, a little piece of each of these pieces, each of these colors represented on a little tiny piece of fabric and all kind of put together in sort of a rainbow of colors on two little, two little, um, After she did my colors, she gave me little swatches of all the colors of fabric that that are my colors so that when I'm shopping, I can take these with me. They're very small little swatches of fabric, and I'm going to include a little video of those of those swatches so you can kind of see what my colors are. I highly recommend if you've never done this, get your colors done because it will really help you shopping. I mean, I'm a designer and I've always 
I mean, I'm a designer. I've always really cared a lot about colors. But just because you have an eye for color and because you can design things really well with color does not necessarily mean that you know what colors look best on you. We think we do, but sometimes we can wear colors that don't complement us and don't make our skin and our eyes and our hair and, and our complexion look their very best. She's One of the things that Catherine taught me was that some of these colors can make you look kind of older than you are. They can age you. They can sort of make you look tired. They can bring out the dark circles under your eyes. They, they can make you look um, sort of sallow and sort of make your complexion not look its best. And especially if maybe you're one of those people who is colorblind or has a little bit of colorblindness, then you could definitely use this service. So anyway, I'd highly recommend it for women. Also, it helps you to know what kind of makeup colors to use. And of course, I don't wear makeup, but uh, there are a lot of women who probably could use help with knowing what are the best, most complimentary colors to wear in their makeup. But not just makeup and clothing, but also jewelry. You know, there's so many things to think about when you're thinking about personal colors, what colors to wear, everything from shoes to makeup to clothing and jewelry. It's just incredible. So I had that experience in California. That was super, super special and something that I am really grateful I got to experience. My mom, when I told her that I was wanting to do that, she said, okay, she just kind of surprised me and was like, okay, I'm going to have Catherine come by and do your colors today. And so that was very special and unexpected, and I really, really appreciated it. Okay, so I am going to tell a quick travel story. And then I'm going to kind of bring this episode to a close because I'm trying my very best to keep these episodes shorter. The last episode was 20 minutes and I felt like that was a perfect amount of time for an episode. But I'm also trying to cram a lot into this episode because I haven't talked to you guys in person for a couple of weeks. So I'm also, you know, trying to share as much as I can with you without oversharing. Always trying to find that balance. <laughs> anyway, So when I left here about three weeks ago, I left at six o'clock in the morning from Venice, got to the Venice airport, and, you know, there was a lot of people. And I was, I had kind of gotten used to over the past year and a half traveling with a lot fewer people than normal. The airports have been empty, the planes have been half full, and it's been a very different travel experience than what I experienced leaving here and going back to the United States. The airports were jam-packed, the the flights were jam-packed, and so when I showed up to the Venice airport and found lines and lines of people at at 5 a.m. in the morning, I was kind of blown away. So there were so many people, and because of all the COVID paperwork and the testing paperwork that they need to look at and the vaccine documentation and the green passes that they're doing here in in Italy and Europe. It just takes a lot longer to get through the check-in process and get drop your bags off and then go through security than it normally does. So anyway, I I made it through all that finally and got to the gate where uh, the flight was already boarding. Now, when I travel, I always, I usually travel with a a leather sort of carry-on bag and a roller bag. 
And if I can travel with just those two bags, then I do without having to check a bag. But this time, because I was going to be gone for such a long time, I checked up a larger bag and then had my little roller bag and then my little leather carry-on. So, you know, the airlines always say you can have one small carry-on bag and one personal item, like a purse or, or another bag. So I was traveling with what I normally travel with and... I got up to the gate to, you know, check in with my boarding pass and get on the plane. And a woman there behind the counter said, excuse me, sir, um, you have two items, I see. And I said, yes. And I'm looking around and everybody else has two items at least. I've even saw a couple people with three items. But for some reason, this woman singled me out. Maybe maybe she didn't like the way I looked or maybe, maybe she was having a bad morning. I don't know. But she somehow decided that she needed to pull me aside out of line and weigh my bags. And so I said, well, this bag, this roller bag only has two pillows in it. And this is just, you know, a little carry-on leather bag. Well, I'd never had my carry-on luggage weighed before. It, it made, it certainly fit the size requirements. And so, but she wanted to weigh my bags. And so when she weighed my bags, she found that the combined total weight of my two bags was two kilos over the weight limit. I didn't even realize there was a weight limit. So I had... I was expecting to bring some seeds back with me and bring some things from California back with me. So I knew that I was going to need a bag that was kind of partially empty. And that was the one I had these two pillows in. But I also had put the pillows in this carry-on bag because I knew I had a 15-hour flight ahead of me. And I would, you know, in effort to try to, to sleep on the plane, I brought a couple pillows with me. And so I wanted to you know, be able to have those, especially for the longest leg of the flight, which was going to be from Amsterdam to San Francisco. So she said, sir, I'm going to have to have you check this bag. And if you have anything you need out of that bag, take it out now because it's going to be checked and you can get it when you land in San Francisco. Well, I was already tired and stressed and hadn't slept the night before. And so the idea of somebody taking my bag, my, my carry-on bag, which no one has ever given me any issues with in the past, the idea that someone was going to take that from me and take my pillows kind of um, rubbed me the wrong way. And I didn't really complain much, but I said, you know, okay, no one's ever giving me any trouble with this before. So I, I, I took one of the pillows out of the bag and she created a, a sticker and um, put it on my bag and said, okay, sir, just take your bag and put it over there on the other side of this podium. So I did that. I took the bag over and I dropped it there. And I realized not, not only was I the only person that I had seen that was being singled out for carrying two bags, I noticed that I, my bag was the only bag that was sitting over there. Uh, you know, there were no, it wasn't like there was this group of bags that they were checking. It was just my bag. So anyway, I, I started just, ugh, it sort of irked me and I was a little irritated, but I, I, I left my bag and I started walking down the, the sort of the tunnel, whatever that thing is that you walk through down to get on the plane. 
And then I have this, I have this sort of this nature. I don't know if, if I've shared this with you before, or if you've picked, figured this out about me just from listening to the podcast, but I have a nature that is kind of a rule breaking tendency in, of, in my nature. I don't follow the rules very well, especially if I feel like the rules are, don't make sense are not fair or sort of don't seem to have any logical reason for having them. And so I turned around and I noticed that the woman who had forced me to check this bag, I noticed that she wasn't looking and they were checking people in and nobody else seemed to be checking their bags. So I just went back and got my bag (laughs) and carried it on to the plane and nobody else said one word to me. Nobody stopped me. There was plenty of room to an overhead baggage space. I kept my little, my little leather bag with me and I just shoved the other bag up into the overhead storage compartment and I turned it around so that nobody could see the tag that the woman had, had put on the bag. I didn't, I didn't have enough time to rip that tag off, but I just put the bag up there, sat in my seat, and waited for the plane to take off. Well, about 10 minutes later, while the plane was still boarding, that woman who was at the gate, uh, who checked me in, and who had taken that bag and, you know, made me check that bag and put the tag on it for me, she came marching onto the plane. And I saw her before she saw me. And I was like, oh man, she is looking for me and she's looking for that bag. And I was like, so I tried to hide my face and look, look out because I was at a window seat and I tried to, to make myself as, as invisible as possible. I was wearing my mask, of course, and I thought maybe I can hide behind this mask and my sunglasses and, and look out the window and maybe she won't notice me. Sure enough, I hear this voice, Mr. Heinrich, Mr. Heinrich. And I, I finally, and then she's like standing right next to me, Mr. Heinrich. And I'm just like, um, yes, um, yes. I, I I kind of, you know, couldn't ignore her anymore. And so I'm like, yes, um, yes, how can I help you? And she was like, Mr. Heinrich, did you take your bag? Did you take your bag? And I was like, um, um... I'm sorry. I, like I try to pretend like all of a sudden I couldn't speak English or something, or I did, couldn't understand English. And uh, she was insistent. Mr. Heinrich, did you take your bag or did you leave your bag? And I was like, um, I left my bag. I, of course, I, I did leave my bag. I had only left it for a few minutes, but I did leave it. So I said, uh, yes, I left my bag. Uh, and so anyway, I didn't tell her that I had taken my bag and shoved it in the overhead compartment right above where she was standing. And so she looked at me very suspiciously. And then she's like looking in the overhead compartment. She was kind of a short, stout woman. So she couldn't see very well into the overhead compartments. And um, so she, she sort of like looks suspiciously around the plane because I think what had happened is she had realized that my bag was the only bag that she had, had forced to be checked and now that bag was missing and she was going to be responsible for that missing bag. But I was too stubborn and in too too sour of a mood to confess that I had taken my bag and, and put it on the plane. So I'm sitting there and I, I watch her finally get off the plane 
And, and then we taxied out onto the runway and took off. And I was feeling to myself, like I had won, you know, round one went to Nathan and, and I was quite pleased with myself actually, because I had taken it upon myself to, you know, make up my own mind that this was a ridiculous rule and request and, and being forced to do something that no one else was being forced to do. I felt like I was well within my rights to just take my bag along with me. Like I did on every other flight that I had taken over the past 15 years. So anyway, we, now I had taken my pillows out of that bag. And so I was still carrying my pillows with me. So when I landed in Amsterdam, I sort of waited for everybody. I was at the back of the plane and which is where I normally like to sit. Cause I just, I just kind of, there's usually more room back there. And, and, um, so anyway, I waited for most of the people to get off the plane. I took that bag down. I ripped that tag off that she had placed on my bag so that there was no longer any proof. And I, I had my, my, all my documentation, my credit cards, my passport, all of my green pass information, my vaccine, my, my vaccine information and card and, and everything I needed for travel, my travel documents and my documents I needed to return to Italy to prove that I was able to come back to Italy legally. And so I sort of placed all of those right next to me on the seat of the plane and then restuffed my pillows back into that carry-on bag and then grabbed my leather bag and off the plane I went and Amsterdam airport is a very large airport and you really have to walk a long ways. It's actually, sometimes you walk for a couple miles from one end of the airport to the other. It actually feels really good because you're walking, especially after you've been on a really long flight. It just feels good to stretch your legs and walk. I had quite a bit of time, at least an hour and a half before my next flight, but I still had to go through customs. So I walked about two miles in total from the E-gates all the way over to customs to then transfer into the, I think it was the the F-gates or maybe it was we were at the B-gates and I had to get to the F-gates. I don't remember. But anyway, we were going to be on opposite ends of the airport, flying in to one side of the airport and flying out of the other. So I got through to the customs line and got to the front of the line at customs and reached into my my leather bag where I had kept my passport and all that. And I was digging around in that bag. And then I realized I don't have my passport. I don't have any of my travel documents. I don't have my credit cards. I don't have the whole portfolio that I had all that stuff in. I had left those on the plane, on the seat of the plane next to me. When I had taken that roller bag down and stuffed those pillows into it, I had forgotten all that documentation and all those papers. I had left them right there on that seat on the airplane. And that was like two miles across the airport. I've just waited for like, for like at least 30 minutes in this line at customs and had walked 30 minutes to get to customs. So I'd already been in the airport for about an hour and my next flight was going to be leaving or at least starting to board within 30 minutes. And then that was another long walk to get to that flight, you know, to get to that gate. 
So, I mean, I'm like panicked because here I am. I have nothing with me. I've, I don't have my nothing. I don't have my, my passport, my, my credit cards, my travel documents. I have nothing. And I mean, that was going to be a problem for me getting back in to Italy, but not only that, just getting to the United States. Cause I mean, how could I go through customs without, without a passport? So I tell the man right there at the front of the line, that's sort of directing all the, the, the traffic, you know, all the people in line, I tell him, I'm so sorry, sir, but I think I left my passport on the plane. I need to run back and see if I can get it. He's like, you left it on the plane. I'm like, yes, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how I did it, but I did that. He's like, tell you what, when you come back here, come and see me and I'll put you back at the front of the line so you can catch your next flight. So I said, thank you so much. And so I ran as fast as I could pulling my bag and carrying my other leather bag with me. I ran across the airport, those two miles, and I finally am about 20 yards away from the gate where I had got off the plane. And over the loudspeaker, I hear, Passenger Nathan Paul Heinrich, please report to Lounge One Lost and Found. Passenger Nathan Paul Heinrich, please report to Lounge One Lost and Found. So immediately I felt relief because I'm like, oh, thank God they found my stuff. It didn't get lost on the plane. They have my stuff. But then I realize that Lounge One is all the way back at customs right where I just came from. So then I have to turn around and run as fast as I can back towards customs. I rush breathlessly and sweating and a sort of just a disheveled train wreck of a, of, of a self, just sort of a disheveled train wreck of myself arrives right at customs, you know, at the lost and found right next to customs. And I, I'm like, hello, my name's Nathan. And the woman doesn't even ask me any identifying information. She just hands me all of my paperwork in my portfolio and just says, here. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So then I run back over to the customs line, to the back of the front of the line. The man recognizes me. He puts me through. I get through customs. I rush to my gate that's boarding. And never in my life have I seen a longer line of people waiting to get on a flight. The airplane was one of those gigantic planes. The airplane is one of those gigantic airplanes that holds lots and lots of passengers, hundreds and hundreds of people. And the plane was 100% full. I think there was not even a single open seat left on that flight. And the window seat that I had requested, because I always request a window seat so you can kind of, you know, lean against the sort of the window. Uh, and, and maybe if you've got a pillow, you can kind of get a little bit of sleep. The window seat that I had requested or that I had thought I had booked, I didn't have. I was in a middle seat sitting in between this lovely Chinese woman and on the other side of me, this lovely Indian woman. And they were very nice and they didn't take up very much space, but the seats were so tight. I swear they're making these airplane seats smaller and smaller. And so here I was seated between these two women and 
I mean, I'm trying to edit a podcast episode and do some work on the computer so that I can upload the episode when I land. And I was crammed into this seat. I had my pillows on my lap, but I couldn't put my pillows anywhere. And so for 15 hours, I'm sitting there just more uncomfortable than I have ever been on any flight. And to add insult to injury, there were three groups of children surrounding where I was sitting. And every one of these groups of children was either crying, screaming, or playing and laughing. And I love kids. I really love kids. But when you're super tired and you didn't sleep the night before your flight and you're not able to, and you, you know, have been up since Lord knows when, you know, packing and trying to get to the airport. And this is your second flight. And you just ran about six miles through an airport and you're sweaty and miserable. And then you sit for the next many, many, many hours around screaming children your nerves can can get sort of worn a little raw and mine absolutely did get worn raw so by the time i landed in california my sciatic nerve which sometimes gives me some some problems when i've been sitting for a long time my sciatic nerve was was throbbing and i was just a frazzled mess when I landed in San Francisco and my mom picked me up at the airport and she was just like, she was like, Nathan, are you okay? You don't seem to be, you don't seem to be your normal happy self. (laughs) I explained the situation to her and she understood exactly why I was kind of not, not my, my best version of myself. But anyway, I was able to get home and, and crash and sleep at my Graham's house and wake up the next morning and, and felt a, a thousand times better. But for the next week, I had problems with my sciatic nerve and uh, woke up in a lot of pain every, every day. And so anyway, those of you who experience issues with sciatic nerve pain, you understand what I'm talking about. It's, it's not pleasant. And um, that can happen sometimes on some of those long flights, especially when the seating arrangements are uncomfortable. Anyway, but uh, I do have to say that the flight home made up completely for that terrible experience flying to California. Because on the way home, I not only had a window seat, the, f- the flight was, was probably only about half full, and my entire row that I was sitting on was empty. So I had three seats and a window and was able to rest and really got, you know, to Italy super, super rested. We did have a little problem in, in Amsterdam again. Um, seems like I have issues in Amsterdam. There was an issue in Amsterdam with the airplane yesterday because we were getting ready to get on the plane and they said, you know, we're having problems with the air conditioner. It's very, very hot in the plane. We, we have to change to another plane at another gate. So we had to change. We had about an hour and a half delay and we finally got into, to Venice airport yesterday, about an hour and a half late. And I was very tired. I didn't sleep on the, on the flights. I, even though I was very comfortable, I do have a hard time sleeping on planes. And so it was about a 20 hour 
total travel day. So when I got here yesterday, I just crashed straight into bed, slept for like 10 hours and woke up at four o'clock this morning. I've been awake ever since four o'clock, but oh man, it felt so good to be back here and to go for a walk this morning. I was walking past people this morning on my walk and saying buongiorno, and I was like saying buongiorno to everybody that I saw, and I was, it was just, it just felt so good to be back. The sky was blue and clear. There was not a trace of smog or smoke in the air, and I just, I went and sat in one of my favorite places in the downtown, sort of old historic part of the city where I love to visit and I sat there and I made some notes for this episode and the bells started ringing and I was just like, oh, I'm home. It felt so good and it feels so good to be back. Anyone of you who are considering moving to Italy, I can tell you that you're going to love coming back to Italy when you leave. It's gonna feel probably really wonderful seeing people that you love and doing things that you you enjoy other places, but I'm gonna just tell you that coming home to Italy is a feeling that I've never experienced coming home anywhere before. It feels wonderful to come back to Italy as your main home and your residence. So anyway, that is something that I can guarantee you that you have to look forward to. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. And I would like to share today's Italian proverb with you. Today's proverb is Tutti i fiori di domani sono nei semi di ieri. Tutti i fiori di domani sono nei semi di ieri. And that means all the flowers of tomorrow are in the seeds of yesterday. I felt like that was very fitting since I just spent so much time collecting seeds and bringing them back to plant at our new home here in Italy, which we still have yet to find and purchase. But I do have some exciting news about some properties that I'm going to be sharing with you in next week's episode, so I'm looking forward to that. So definitely come back next week and I will give you an update on Italian property as well as the fact that tomorrow is my meeting with the immigration office for my Italian residency and to get my fiscal code and my Italian green card, which they call residency card, I believe. So that's tomorrow. So I have a lot of things to share with you in next week's episode. The Don't You Love It When section for this week's episode is Don't you love it when you notice that very, very first hint of fall in the air? It's almost indescribable change in the something in the air, in the temperature, in the trees, in the way that everything smells, and that shift that happens in September at just the very end of summer and the very beginning of autumn. It marks the beginning of part of my favorite time of the year. I enjoy summer, but summer is not my favorite time of the year. My favorite time of the year really is fall, winter, and spring. And summer is just a little too hot for my 
personal taste, even though apparently I am a summer when it comes to colors. I am not a summer in my heart, but I really do enjoy all the seasons. But I have to say I noticed a subtle change in the weather while I was leaving California and while I was out for my walk this morning in Conneano. And so don't you love it when you notice that first change of summer into fall? I wonder if that's happening where you live. And if that's something that you notice, let me know. Send me a message. And finally, our surrounding sounds for this week's episode. So I have a lot of surrounding sounds for this week. I'm going to try to cram them all in. And hopefully it won't add too much time to an already long episode. But I'm going to share with you the sound. It's very faint. You have to listen very hard for it. But I I happened to be recording some sounds when I overheard the sound of them paging me at the airport in Amsterdam, telling me that I needed to come to the lost and found. So you'll hear them saying my name over the loudspeaker if you listen very carefully. And I have a few of the sounds of getting my colors done. Of a sound of visiting my grandmother's new property overlooking the river, and a sound of the restaurant outside the restaurant in Half Moon Bay on the coast in California, uh, where I went with my mom the last night that I was in California. My mom and I went over to stay in a hotel near the San Francisco airport, and we went over the hill to. Half Moon Bay, which is a lovely town right on the coast, and you can hear the sea lions in the background, so you're, you'll hear that sound. And then maybe the sound uh, in the airport in Amsterdam of the flight being delayed, and then landing in Venice. And then the sound of the church bells while I was out for my walk this morning. And there's also the sound of a father who was out for a walk with his two little sons and they were talking to him and asking him questions and he was answering them and it was very sweet sound. So anyway, lots of surrounding sounds for this episode. So enjoy those and I will be back afterwards to say goodbye. color fan use your color fan when you're shopping and you saw what whites did with you stay with this soft white this soft white when you see it when you're shopping for it you see that it's just got a little bit of the sand in it mm-hmm. you see it's got a little bit of, of the brown it's got a little bit of the gray yep. and it's just it's just toned down just kind yep. of taking the edge off the white right. it hasn't yellowed it because you don't look good in a yellow yeah a yellow creamy color yeah anyway so it's the same thing with all your slacks and your and your shirts any, as long as you're picking from here, there's going to be balance. You're not going to be cut in half and made to look shorter or heavier or wider. Or so literally none of those colors. None of those colors. Incredible. You want an acorn? Maybe when I come back for a visit, I'll take a couple acorns. That would be nice. Down this little path? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I see. Huh? I see. I see where we're going. 
This is all yours. Wow. My goodness. I mean, I'm impressed. It's so beautiful. Very nice. Well, so, that to be up there. Uh huh. And that's probably be nice. Up there. Yeah. For this, it's incredible. This little guy. these for him. you enjoyed those sounds from this week's episode here in Italy and California. Thank you so much for coming back again this week and for sharing your 
Monday with me or whatever day of the week you happen to be listening to this episode. I hope that wherever you are listening to the sound of my voice this week, that you are healthy and well. And I look forward to being back here with you next week with a very exciting episode. And if you haven't had a chance to check out the website, I'm moving to Italy.com. Please check it out. There's some wonderful products and some wonderful favorite things that I mentioned. So you can go to my favorite things section of the website and check those things out. If you're moving to Italy, there's some wonderful products that might be really wonderful for you. And if you're just dreaming about and planning to move to Italy, there's some great books that you can read and some Italian films you can watch. So check those out. So my friends, until next week, take care. God bless. Ciao, ciao, ciao.